0: Very good. All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to the book of Acts? That's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, there is a lot of material here that we could talk about, as you saw in that DVD. So he, here's the plan. Today we're going to be talking about the birth of the church and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And next week we're going to talk about Paul and his ministry, his mission, and uh, the whole story of what took place in his life, because it's just so much ground to cover we're going to try shorten it up a little bit here today and we'll be again like I said in the book of Acts this is chapter 28 in the story Uh, we started a number of months ago now in this particular series and I want to do just a brief recap remember when we started in the book of Genesis 28 weeks ago we saw that God's grand vision was to be with his people that is why God created us. He wanted to have a relationship with all of us, with all of his children, and to live with us one day in that kind of personal relationship. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that fellowship with God was broken, and sin entered into our world, and we see the consequences of sin every day. And man became lost in sin. That's a term that we use to describe where we are. We were lost in sin. We were separated from God. Each of us had gone our own way. So God devised a plan to call his people back into a relationship with himself. And that plan has moved through history in different phases or periods. In the first phase, God chose Israel. His plan was to call out a nation that would represent him in the world. Israel was to be a light to the nations. They were to glorify God. They were to reveal something about God's character and his holiness to the other nations. And they were to declare his glory among all peoples. And God said that through them he would send his Messiah, this one who would come that would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And in God's time, that second phase began when God sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth To call us back into a relationship with God. And he would provide the way. Jesus himself would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made those kind of exclusive claims saying that he was the only one because he's the only one who has ever dealt with the problem of our sin. And Jesus' death and his resurrection were the proof that he was God's messiah. The one who took upon himself our sins and died in our place so that we could be saved. Well, we've been looking at that the last month in our series in the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. Now, we move into phase three, and phase three is the church age. It's the age in which we live also. And it began in the book of Acts, and we're going to see the beginning of the church today and what God's plan and purpose is for us. God's plan is to use the church to be that instrument to bring the gospel to the nations of the world. Let me read for us in chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Luke writes that in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the skies as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, these stories are just awesome. They tell of your power and your plan your purpose for not only the disciples then but for us as a church and what it is that you want us to do in this world as we too are your witnesses so father would you open our eyes to see the truth of what you say here and would you work in our hearts just a passion a passion to serve you and to bring this good news to those who have never heard it before in jesus name amen Well, what we read here is that the book of Acts is the second of two books that Luke wrote to the same person, to this man, Theophilus, and we just don't know a lot about him. But Luke wrote these things down, and Luke was a very good historian. Those who have looked at his work would describe him as an historian of the first rank. The details, the places, the things that he talks about have been confirmed in archaeology. And in his first book, he wrote about Jesus' ministry. That's the Gospel of Luke. But in this second book of his, Acts, he tells about the birth of the church and God's third phase of ministry in his plan of salvation. The key verse in the book of Acts is verse 8, when he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. He said that they were to go and do that in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that really is the outline for the book. We're going to see how they started. The church was born in Jerusalem and they witnessed there. And then how it spread to Judea, their surrounding area. And then how it went cross-culturally into Samaria, into those people groups where the Jews by nature did not even want to associate with them. But God crossed those bridges and brought the gospel to new people groups and literally to the ends of the earth as they knew it at that time. The work of the Holy Spirit features prominently in Acts. And Jesus had told His disciples when He met with them in the upper room, He said, I am returning to the Father, but I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Jesus saying, I am going to the Father, but I am not going to leave you alone. I am going to send the Holy Spirit who will live among you and be in you, every follower of Jesus would now receive the Holy Spirit. That's a remarkable change. Sometimes people ask the question, you know, if Luke wrote these two books, Luke and Acts, why aren't they next to each other in the New Testament? Why is the Gospel of John right in between those two books? And, you know, there have been different suggestions, but I think the best answer to that question is because in the book of John, we learn about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and that again features so prominently in Acts that I think in when you look at John 13 to 17 in that upper room discourse, Jesus talked much about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity: God the Father, God, the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he would now come to live in the heart of every follower of Jesus. And Jesus talked about his ministry. The Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He's the one that shows us our need for Christ. He's the one that opens our eyes to see the truth of the gospel. In those conversion experiences where, uh, you know, it's like our eyes are open and we see what we didn't see before. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are born again by the Spirit. We are equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who prompts us to serve Him or who speaks to our heart. He's the one that would even give them the words to say when they were brought before governors and kings to testify. The work of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to the ministry of the church, and we're going to see that today. So in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit is giving. Don't leave home without it. It's kind of the message here, you know. Don't, don't think you can do this in your own power. So that's what they did. The disciples, 120 of them at this point, waited and they prayed. During that period, as we read the book of Acts, it's also when they asked God who should take Judas's place among the twelve. And Matthias is chosen as someone who had seen the Lord and followed his ministry. And he would now become one of the twelve disciples. Well then, ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, which would be fifty days after the Sabbath of Passover week. And what's significant about that? Pentecost. It was a feast that the Jews had traditionally celebrated on that day. But I find it very interesting Fifty days after the Sabbath of Passover means that this was a Sunday. And it is on that day of Pentecost, on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, that the church is born. The Holy Spirit is sent on that day and comes upon them. And we read about it in the book of Acts. You saw it on the DVD here in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So here it is, a Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. They're praying. They're waiting for this gift. And they hear this rushing sound of wind. And then they see this uh, tongues of fire come and, you know, land upon each of them, if you will. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. You know that if you look in the Old Testament, you would find that wind and fire were symbols of God's presence in the Old Testament too. And just like when they dedicated the temple and the fire of the Lord came down, or His presence came down and filled the temple, now God was doing a new work in the church. And His Holy Spirit was coming down and to dwell in the hearts of each believer. And on this very first occasion, God did something very visible so that they would know that He had given them His Holy Spirit. Why doesn't God do that the same way over and over again? Well, God doesn't always work in the same way, does He? Every time someone comes to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our hearts, but it's not like we see that visibly in terms of tongues of fire or speaking in other languages. But we do see the change that he produces in hearts and life when that light goes on and people come to know Jesus, and what a joy that is. So here they were. They met that day. And then gathered for Pentecost were as many as a million Jews from all over the Middle East who had come to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And what happens is another miracle. The 120 disciples become cross-cultural missionaries who are speaking the wonderful works of God in the languages of the world. Can you imagine that? I mean, people have come from all these different countries. They all have their own individual languages that they learn. And now these disciples go up and they're talking to them. They're praising God. They're sharing the good news about Jesus. And the people are understanding them. And they're they're just amazed at it. And they begin to question, you know, what does this mean? Some kind of mocked them, thought perhaps they were drunk, you know, and that's what's going on. And Peter stands up to explain all of this. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, and he spoke to the crowd. And he talked about Jesus. And his message that day was about his life and death and resurrection. His message was Jesus is alive, and Jesus is Lord. Wow. Wow. On that day, as he preached the gospel, the people were cut to the heart, and 3,000 people responded to Peter's message and were baptized that day. They repented of their sin. They turned to Christ and placed their faith in him. And can you imagine the disciples' joy and amazement at that? I mean, Jesus had told them, he said, you know, when I go to the Father, this isn't a bad thing. You might think it is. You might think, you know, that you're going to be alone, but you're not. I will be with you always to the end of the age. And you will do even greater things that I have done. Because I will be with you. Jesus in his preaching never had that same kind of response of 3,000 people who would believe in him on that day. But now, Jesus speaking through Peter... To declare the good news has this incredible response, and it's just the beginning. The church is formed, and the church begins to grow. Now, there are four things that the disciples needed to know if they were going to carry out God's plan, and they are the same four things that we need to know if we are going to carry out God's plan. It's pretty simple. I'm going to share these four things with you, and then there's going to be a quiz at the end. So I want you to listen on this. Okay? All right. Number one is the mission. We need to understand the mission. And the mission is given in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And I hope all of you know this and have it memorized by now. But Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And the way that you're going to do that is you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to call people to repent, and you're going to baptize them in the name of Jesus. And then you're going to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What we see here is that the goal is not just converts, but the goal is disciples. Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We are looking for depth of character and knowledge. We are looking for men and women who will stand firm against the tide in their relationship with God. You know, when I think about that for our church That's why we don't do church light. We call people to make a commitment to Christ and to demonstrate that in their life. You know, I was thinking uh, last Sunday, we celebrated Easter here, and, you know, I went home afterwards, and I was tired, and I went home, and I uh, picked up the newspaper. I actually still get a newspaper. I know that a lot of people have changed on that, but I was reading the Pioneer Press, and in their front page, Pioneer Press, they had an article on preaching on Easter, okay, and, and what you should know about preaching on Easter, and they had talked to, you know, a lot of different people, now mostly from non-evangelical churches, though. In fact, I don't recall any evangelical pastors that were quoted in there, but the one thing that they said was, you know, on Easter you got to keep the message short, you know, maybe 10 minutes. I mean, everybody knows the story, so you don't have to say much, so you just keep the message short and send people home and they'll be happy. And I just thought, you know, they are missing it. I mean, to quote uh, Jim Fan here, our beloved Jim, you know, uh, he says that, you know, sermonettes make Christianettes. You know, I mean, you just, you have those little messages. and, And I think about that. If you are here on Sunday morning, and say you're here all 52 weeks, which probably none of us are. Maybe there's some exceptions, but most of us aren't here. But if you're here 52 weeks and you hear me or Jim or Jason speak for a half an hour? That's twenty six out of hours out of the whole year. I mean, some people watch more television in one week than twenty six hours. And so where's the balance in that? I mean we need to hear and understand the Word of God. We are not going to do church light. You can fill a church with entertainment. You can fill a church by making it kind of easy and lowering the cost of discipleship, but that will not make disciples. Making disciples involves the hard work of studying the Scripture and applying it to life, of being a person who prays, a person who's committed to the body of Christ, to community and caring for one another, loving one another, who's committed to using their gifts and ministry and serving one another. It's why we ask people in our church to do three things. To worship, come on Sunday morning and do that regularly. To grow, get involved in an ABF or a small group where you can be going deeper in the word and building relationships. And to serve, to use your gifts and ministry both inside and outside of the church. To be a blessing to others here and to share the good news because we want to multiply our faith. That's the mission. Making disciples is at the heart of our ministry, whether it's children's ministry or youth ministry or adult ministry. But I can tell you the challenge is always to keep the main thing the main thing. Because what happens is this. Is that over time, people feel like, yeah, I know that, I've done that. Or people get bored or people want to move on to something new or different. And so the church at large can go through swings, and there are times when it moves from, say, evangelism, well, we've done that, to social justice, to concerns about maybe the environment or service projects or other things that may be good things to do, but not at the expense of the gospel. Our good deeds should adorn the gospel, not replace it. And when I think of the mission of the church, I think of it in this way. Did you know that a military general's command remains in effect until he issues a new command? And I think of Jesus, our supreme commander, has given us this mission to go and make disciples. And that remains in effect until the day when he returns. And he says the mission is complete. So that's it. We don't change the mission, we just follow it. What about the second thing we need to know? Well, that's the message. And the message is the gospel. And we see that in Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, Peter boldly testified that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he died and rose again. And when he preached that day, he called people to repent of their sin and to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see it in verse 36, chapter 2. He said, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So here Peter's making it very clear what this is about. And again, like I said, 3,000 people believed on that day and were saved. Later in the book of Acts, we read on another occasion, 5,000 came to know the Lord and every day God was adding to their numbers those who were saved. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the disciples sharing the gospel, calling people to repent, put their trust in Jesus. You have Philip doing that in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and you have Paul doing it in Athens among the Greeks in chapter 16. And their approach may differ depending upon their audience, how they begin, how they introduce the message, but where they end up is always the same. It's Christ Jesus who died and rose again on our behalf, And all of us have a need to put our trust in him. So I think about this, the message. And I want to remember, don't change the message. Don't change the message. There is salvation in no one else, the scripture says in Acts 4.12. Jesus himself said he's the only way to the Father. Apart from Christ, people are lost and they will die in their sins, separated from God for all of eternity. And Satan would love to have us water down the message. He would love to have us preach universalism, that everyone will be saved. He'd love to have us say that all religions are the same and it really doesn't matter what you believe, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is Christ crucified. He died and rose again on our behalf. And if Peter or Paul had watered down the message you know, we wouldn't be here today. The book of Acts would never have been written. These apostles, these men were willing to die for their faith because they knew that there was only one way to be saved, and it is through Jesus Christ. Third, we need to understand the method, God's plan to reach the nations, and that method is given in both Acts 1.8 and then in chapter 2. God's method to bring the gospel to the nations is the church. It is us. It's you and me who make up the body of Christ. It's his church universal throughout the world, made up of all true believers in Christ. He said again in Acts 1.8 that you would receive power, you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and that's what they did. It doesn't say in that verse that you will do witnessing on occasion. It says you will be my witnesses. The intent there is that by our life, by our words, we are always to be a witness for Christ. It's not something we just do once in a while, but we're to live in such a way that others can see Jesus in us. And to look for opportunities to share that good news. I can see the angels in heaven when they heard Jesus talk about this, maybe scratching their head a little bit and saying, you know, okay, what's plan B if this doesn't go so well? You know, what's plan B if this doesn't quite work out with these guys? And Jesus says, there is no plan B. This is my plan, to use the church to be a witness for me in this world. And the word for witness is a sobering one. In Greek, it is the word martyres. We get our English word martyrs from it. It's a reminder that to be a witness for Christ is costly. It has cost many their life in the history of the church as they have boldly declared that there is salvation to be found only in Jesus. And are you, am I, willing to stand up for Jesus in a world that's running the other direction or doesn't want anything to do with him? And to pay that cost. There's a cost involved in being a disciple to say no to the flesh, no to the world, no to the temptations that are out there, and to say yes to Jesus. The book of Acts gives us a picture of what the church will look like when God is present and We could spend a lot of time here, but I'm just going to highlight some things from Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Let me read it for us. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is a picture of what God wants the church to look like. And you think of what was going on there where they were... Uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching, there was teaching, there was preaching going on, there was fellowship, they had this sense of community and commitment to one another. There was worship as they praised God there was the lord's Supper was celebrated as they broke bread together, they prayed and they waited upon God and asked for his direction. There was sacrificial giving and sacrificial service as they used their gifts or resources to help one another. And there was joy, great joy. And there was also growth, spiritual growth and growth in numbers. And I look at that, I go, Lord, that's that's my prayer. I mean, isn't that what you want our church to be too? Isn't that what you desire to see God work in our midst in such a way where we are experiencing all of those things and God is blessing? There are so many misconceptions about the church today. You know, and there are people who think like, well, you know, I can do this on my own as a Christian. I don't really need the church. Or why should I be committed to a church? You know, can't I just kind of show up once in a while and come and go? And I go, no, that's not what the Bible says. Some people think of the church like it's a theater. You know, they think of the church as a theater. And what do you do when you go see a movie at a theater? Well, you hope to be entertained and you also hope that, you know, maybe you'll be inspired once in a while by a good movie. And when the movie's over and you leave the theater, what do you do? You critique the movie. I mean, you just, you walk out and you well, what do you think? Did you like that or not? And that's kind of the way it is. And that's what some people do And they think about church. They go to be entaint, entertained or maybe inspired. And then when they leave, they kind of critique what they saw or heard that day. Some people think of the church like a store. You know, I go there and I wonder, do they have what I like? And it's a consumer mentality. And we even use the expression, you know, on occasion, I'm church shopping. I'm kind of going around, you know, and I'm looking for what fits me and what I like. And some people go to multiple churches and they kind of pick and choose what they like here. But that takes away from the community and the commitment that God wants us to have with a local fellowship. Some people think of the church like a gas station, you know, where they just pull in and fill up once a week and then go on their way. I don't need more than that, do I? Just kind of, you know, drive in, fill it up. And so I come Sunday morning, I want to be filled up a little bit, and then I'll just go do my own thing. The church is more than that. And some people think of the church like a restaurant. And when you go to a restaurant, what do you want? You want to pick what you like from the menu? You want to be served and waited on? And the church isn't like that. In the church, we ask you to serve and to think about the needs of those around you, not just your own needs, but to use your gifts to be a blessing to others. And so, if the church is going to be what God intends, then we need to have that kind of relationship with Him and with one another that says, you know what, I am committed to the mission I will preach the gospel. I will use my gifts and service. This is my church. And I want our church to become all that God intends it to be. And then fourthly, the means for all of this is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be a witness for Christ. Because you know what? At the root of it, all of us are self-centered. And all of us really do think about our own needs, you know, and we think about, you know, what can I get out of this or do that? And the only way that we are changed and begin to think of others is when God does this work of grace in us that changes our heart. And we get it. We understand His intent for the church and we join with it. In Ephesians 5.18, it says that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that command stresses that we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? It happens when we confess our sins and we yield ourselves to Him and we ask Him to fill us. The Holy Spirit is present in your life if you've come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but sin quenches His work in our life or it grieves the Holy Spirit. It's when we confess it and we say, Lord, here am I. Fill me and use me today that He is pleased and He does just that. And what He produces in our life then, we read in Galatians five twenty two and 23, is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the qualities of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things increase in greater and greater message, in our, our greater and greater abundance as we grow in Christ. And people can see that. And that's when people after a time sometimes will look at you and say, you know, what is it? What's different in your life? There's something different. Or when you handle the trials of life or the circumstances of life that aren't easy at all and you do that with grace or there is joy in your heart, God uses you and you are a witness for Christ. So here's the deal. If we're going to carry out God's plan... And be his church in this community to be a light to the world. There's four things we need to understand. And what are those four things? We need to understand what the mission is. It's to go and make disciples. We need to understand and know the message. It's the gospel. And to be able to share that with others. We need to understand the method. God's method is to use the church. To use us to be that witness in this world. And we need to know the means. The source of power. And that's the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. The really exciting part to me in this is that, you know, the book of Acts is not over. The book of Acts is still being written. And there's a chapter in that book that says Lakes Free Church. And God is working in us just like he's working in all of the different local churches and individual churches. But he's got an assignment for us. And someday I want to go back and I want to look at that chapter and I want to see what God did. And I'm excited about that. You know, what's it going to be? How's He going to use you and your gifts and your abilities? What did He do through this church all for His glory that helped to reach the world for Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, these chapters in the book of Acts are just so powerful, and we just touched on a little bit of it today, but Father, you know my prayer, my heart, is that I really want to see our church become all that you want us to be. To be that kind of light, to be that kind of vibrant fellowship and community, to really care for one another, to be passionate about the gospel, to see you adding people to our numbers daily, those who are being saved, what a great joy that would be and to lift up Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Father, would you be pleased to work those things in us and help each of us to do our part, filled with your Spirit, walking in obedience to your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.